Hey everyone, welcome to State of the Nation. This is episode 10. David, this is the first time we are live streaming this. Pretty exciting. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. Breaking out my live streaming skills. Uh, turns out they it's not so hard. So yeah, we are now going to a live stream the State of the Nation. So uh, we're going to get a little bit more consistent with the time. So I think we're doing 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern time every Tuesday. So make sure that you tune in to the Bankless live stream to get that done. You can find it on Twitter, but honestly, we prefer you to go to YouTube uh, because the YouTube comments are just better there. And so uh, you can subscribe. Wait, wait, to did you say YouTube comments are better than Periscope comments? Yeah. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we just want everyone to be in the same room. So if you're watching this, go to the YouTube. Also, while you're there, subscribe to the YouTube so you get these alerts that we are live streaming. Awesome. Very cool. Yep. Super exciting. This is um, starting about 10 minutes late just because we were going over some technical issues, but we will work to start this promptly at 10 a.m. East Coast time. I think that's 2 p.m. UTC uh, if you're international and, and tuning in that way as well. Um, all right. What do we do in State of the Nation? We talk about what's happening. So in particular, what happened the previous week we try to relate it to some of the big picture themes that we talk about in Bankless every week. And we always like to show you some visuals, to drop some insights, and to drop some action items. Um, a couple of quick announcements. We had Kane um, Warwick on live AMA last week. You've got to check that out. That's now published in the podcast feed. So take a look at that. We're also publishing a, part, a podcast today with Charlie Noyes. So uh, make sure you, you grab the, the Bankless podcast feed and subscribe there. The Charlie episode is just fantastic. We talk a lot about ETH as a monetary asset, why it needs to be a monetary asset. Um, Charlie works at Paradigm, which is one of the, the, I think, the most interesting crypto funds in the space. We're also dropping Tactics, so Tactic on why earn today, and then some killer articles later this week that you're really going to like. So get on the program. David, before we begin, we should talk about our sponsors. You want to tell folks about Gods Unchained? Yeah, yeah. Gods Unchained is going to be really perfect for this particular state of the nation. But Gods Unchained is a game, and it's a game very much like Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone or Pokemon. It's a it's a trading card game, and everyone loves Magic the Gathering because it's like a very social game, and you play right across from another person, and you play with like physical cards, like you own the cards physically kind of like owning cash physically. And then Hearthstone is that same game, but in a computer form. But Blizzard, the company, owns your cards. Like you purchase the cards from them and then they give them to you and you can play with them, but you don't own them. They can take them back from you. You can't trade them. There's no marketplace. Gods Unchained is the perfect marriage between a physical card trading game and a digital card trading game because you own the cards as tokens on Ethereum, which is really, really cool. Uh, and other than that, it's just a fantastic game to play. Like the, the game uh, graphics are just super sexy. Uh, I have a fun time playing it. I've put like 50, 60 hours into it. So you can check them out at godsunchained.com. And the greatest part is when you win games, you get packs and then tokens show up in your wallet. And it's fantastic. Uh, somebody has actually made, play by playing Gods Unchained, has made the minimum wage more than the minimum wage in their home country of Brazil, I think, which is a pretty fascinating story. Oh yeah, we, we did an article on uh, crypto gamers and how, how much money they're making. Um, there's some really interesting analysis on that. Um, I think, anyway, we'll include in the show notes, but uh, you can make money this way. Um, also want to tell you about our second sponsor. Um, this is Ave. So Ave is 
a friend of the show has been doing incredible work in the lending and interest space. So it's a money protocol that allows you to deposit a crypto asset in. So an ERC-20 or ETH, for example, DAI, um, for example, um, you know, Link or USDT or USDC, any asset on Ethereum, and you receive interest back on the amount that you deposit. You can also borrow from it. And this team, the Ave team, is just like iterating on their protocol uh, so fast. Last week, they just announced a V2 of Ave, which um, I think is going to be absolutely fantastic, like uh, amazing. I feel like bit by bit, we're taking pieces out of the existing banking system and we're moving it from like a bank and a building and you know thousands of employees to actual code. That's what Ave is doing. They're also like... <laughs> blowing up the DeFi leaderboard chart. So Two Comma Club, congrats, Ave. Well congrats. done. Um, they are at a billion in locked value in the Ave protocol. So are they the second Wait, protocol to do Three that? Comma Club? Oh, three Comma. Three, three Comma Club. <laughs> you got to get Pierre to come and audit your commas, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now there's actually, I'm looking at um, DeFi uh, Pulse right now. We've got Maker who reached over a billion. They're, they're leading right now. Ave number two and Curve number three. So anyway, check out Ave. Um, super easy user interface. That's at Ave.com, A-A-V-E.com. We'll include it in the show notes. David, want to ask you the question I always ask at the beginning of State of the Nation. What is the state of the nation today, sir? The state of the nation is gaming. We are all gaming. I am okay. literally gaming last, or I was literally gaming last weekend when I was playing Hearth, uh, playing Gods Unchained. But also, even earlier than that, I was gaming by farming some yams and playing these money games on Ethereum, which we all seem to start to kind of get a little bit more. Uh, there's just a lot of more exposure around these things, and people are starting to realize that they are much more like these massive multiplayer online money games. Like it's a new genre of games, and it's all about wealth maximizing. And that's basically what has happened over the last month of of the DeFi world. Uh, and so we're again, like kind of how we're stretching the definition of a nation when we call it the bankless nation. We're also stretching the definition of a game by calling it like a money game. It's a different type of game, different rules, different players, different win conditions. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating concept, and we're gonna we're gonna go into that into this in this episode. Yeah, uh, I saw a tweet from um, Hasib, who we actually are releasing an episode with. Uh, he's from Dragonfly. He's an investor at Dragonfly, and he said something to the effect of, "I knew crypto gaming." would come um but i didn't know it would take the form of yams <laughs> right <laughs> it's like for it's it's always it's for a long time it's been a meme that like one of the biggest use cases is going to be gaming in crypto and mm -hmm. um i believe that's true gods and change is an example of that but also so are these money games mm -hmm. so is all of the kind of the yield farming that that's going on um the stakes are maybe a different like a little higher and a little different but these are absolutely games that we're playing. So uh, maybe we should start there with topic one, David, because you wrote a fantastic, um, like kind of, you've written a few things on money games, like, mm -hmm. um, and you wrote a post yesterday that sort of summarized what's going on a little in, in some of these things. Maybe, maybe you could get into that. So the post is called Ready Player One, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to bring it up on screen. And um, yeah, talk about that for us. 
Yeah, so this came out of a very early article, I think I wrote last November, called Ethereum, the Money Game Landscape. Uh, again, I always use Ethereum uh, as a, a, refer to it as a landscape, like it's a physical plane of existence. Uh, and there's different options, peaks, valleys, different uh, tools, different parts of the landscape that do different things. Uh, and so as a money game, Land landscape, there's different constructions to be playing different games, right? And so uh, I think MakerDAO, uh, when the thing that like, kind of brought the DeFi world into existence is the, the first example of a move that you can make, right? The, the, when single collateral die was issued, there was a move enabled, like uh, there's a new valid move on the board. And that, that move was to deposit Ether and mint die. And you had specific rules and parameters for making that move, but that move is now available. And over the course of the bear market, what we've seen the growth of DeFi, what we've really seen is the explosion of the growth of possible moves, right? There are more things for us to do. And each move offers you some sort of strategy to create, right? And so all these people that have been like, especially the people that have made a ton of money now, They've been practicing their games, their gaming. They've been gaming for the past like two years in DeFi, practicing their moves, learning how to make moves, learning what moves work and what moves don't. And as the DeFi ecosystem gets larger and more complex because there's more like different boards, uh, there are more total moves. And now some people are really good gamers and other people are not so good gamers. But the cool thing about Ethereum is that you can pick your level of difficulty. It's, it's largely, you largely play against yourself. Like there are other people that you have to compete with, but it's really mostly a single player game inside of this like MMO universe. Yeah, I think that so... Um... If you, if you want to play on easy mode, right, we've talked a lot about sort of, this is not mm -hmm. financial advice, but we've talked about portfolio construction mm -hmm. a little bit, right? Easy mode in crypto is you buy the reserve money assets. Mm -hmm. You buy ETH and you buy Bitcoin, right? Um, and if you do that, it's pretty passive, right. basically, mm -hmm. because you can benefit from all of mm -hmm. the, the upside. But harder mode right, is w when you start playing these money games right. with each of these particular protocols. Mm -hmm. And you um, you talked about four valid moves, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because all of these, well, I guess Synthetix is, um, has been around for, for over a year, mm -hmm. but um, the other three are relatively new moves that just came on the board and almost like they were inspired by Synthetix. But um, Comp and Compound, for instance, I mean, that just came out in, in May. Right. Can you talk about each of these um, new valid moves, David? Yeah, and so each each uh, game, speaking of these protocols as games, each game kind of makes moves, um, and they're similar but also different, right? And as you said, synthetics uh, kind of did the the yield farming before it was called yield farming, right? That's why Kane in his bio on Twitter has the father of modern agriculture because oh, he does, that, yeah, that, yeah that, which is true. Awesome. This is true. He created he created the concept of like issuing rewards from the protocols in order to uh, sponsor certain moves because synthetics as a protocol wants you to do certain things, right? It's wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't you think uh, Satoshi should be able to claim that title though? Yeah, you're right. Yep, you're right. But well, no, no, good, un good until he Kane. does though, until he does. <laughs> or she, or yeah, they. Or, or she or they, right. Yeah. Or it or whatever. Um, 
and and so so Kane and the synthetic Steve like made this very prescriptive statement saying like okay we are going to uh, encourage this type of move by issuing these rewards right right uh, compound and comp with yield farming kind of expanded that and said okay you can get rewards by supplying any asset or borrowing any asset so they kind of expanded the horizon of how you receive protocol issued rewards. And then it also in included the governance module. And the governance module over Compound from their native comp token is important in the game because that is the thing that is really incentivizing uh, cash flows at its very essence, right? Because it governs right. over the cash flows. Then Ampleforth brought this rebasing mechanism, very simple. And with it came this massive game that was just made, played around this one move. And basically Ampleforth is a one move type of game. It's like you buy and then you sell. And you do that, and because it, it's speculative, because it's a non-dilutive asset, it's a game of accumulation, but it has this like reflexive repricing thing that makes people play it differently, right? And then and then Urine and Yiffy came around, and it made this scavenger hunt where there's a bunch of different moves, but they're elsewhere, not in not like comp where it's in the protocol, but it's elsewhere. And then and then I think what was really cool was that Yam and Yams. And, and, and all of the uh, activity around Yams was really a collection of all of these moves. And so Yam created this brand new game that was a collection of all these things. These games uh, inspire each other. Someone right. in the comments called it uh, the money Farmville. And that's basically mm -hmm. what they are because they're, they're also um, games that you play socially. Mm -hmm. There's this, this whole social dynamic around things like YAM or Ampleforth or SNX or Comp. Mm -hmm. And I, I, wa I want to get back to um, the comment I just made about Satoshi, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, so, so some people, I, I think, don't recognize that uh, Bitcoin is a scarcity game yeah. in itself, the right? Most, it's the most simple. It, the most simple. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost... Um, yeah, people don't like the term uh, Ponzi game, mm -hmm. right? But you know, to me, that's different from a Ponzi scheme. So a, you know, a Ponzi scheme is something that's non-transparent. You know, the, the centralized planners of the scheme are you know taking siphoning money. Um, they're they're giving false numbers out in order to uh, trick investors. Basically, a Ponzi game is is simply a it's simply a scarcity game where those that get in early are uh, rewarded disproportionately relative to those that get in late. And that's what Bitcoin is, right? The entire, the entire um, I guess, motif, the entire you know, operating line of thought and social layer is like, I'm gonna buy my, mm -hmm. my portion of the mm -hmm. 21 million Bitcoin and I'm gonna hold. Right. Nothing's gonna shake me from, from right. holding. Like that is the original money game. Right. And if you think about it, that's what backs like those types of money games are the things that back the entire like value proposition yeah. of the bankless decentralized mm -hmm. money space. The fact that um, people are playing the game makes the game real. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, right. and it's harder to see with Bitcoin because, Oh, now, you know, Goldman Sachs is saying you should have a little Bitcoin in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, big investors has become institutionalized. So it's become like socially accepted, but it wasn't mm -hmm. when it, when it started, mm -hmm. it was a, a game that, that most people in the mainstream completely dismissed as a scam, as a scheme, as you know, nothing that would, would become the movement that it has. So at, at some level, like all of crypto is backed by these types of games with 
one like degree of of credibility uh, or or another when you say yeah absolutely and it's it's all bakes down to a wealth maximizing game and that's yes. what bitcoin is in its essence right it's it's a wealth maximizing game that is also a game of chicken right and yeah. we, we see bitcoiners playing this game when like bitcoin takes a dip and then they all go to Cash App and they buy some Bitcoin and then they take a screenshot and then they post it to Twitter. They and say, socially signal. They socially yep. signal. And then they say, I'm never selling. And right. basically what that's saying is like the, in the, the game of chicken, if they're both, if two Bitcoiners are driving straight at each other, 200 miles an hour each car, <laughs> then they, they're signaling that both they're going to run right into each other because they're not yeah. ever going to leave the game of Bitcoin because they're never going to sell. And that right. reinforces the game because the price floor of Bitcoin is determined by how many Bitcoiners are committed to buying Bitcoin and never selling it, right? And so that makes the game valid for other people because if you are as an investment firm see like this army of bitcoiners that are all buying like 0.01 bitcoins on the cash app and, and then signaling that they're never going to sell you see the available supply of bitcoin becoming less and less available to you and so that as an investment thesis it turns it goes from a game to an investment thesis and the investment yeah. thesis of bitcoin is that everyone's going to be playing the bitcoin game well, some people are like, uh, but David and Ryan, like you, you just made the entire space seem super scammy just now by talking about it in those terms. Um, and I just go back to, that's exactly what gold is, right? Like gold is just a, a Ponzi game with much more history, 3000 years of history, yeah. right? So that's somewhat, lots of players that somewhat legitimizes it, but mm -hmm. it's the same sort of game that we're playing. There's a scarce amount of gold. And we're betting that other human beings are going to use it as a store of value. But there's like, there's very little of the value of gold. There's very little of that that's actually like utility value, commercial mm -hmm. value, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And um, in, in, in another sense, uh, fiat is the same sort of money scarcity type game. It's very much based on a belief that a particular nation state will uphold the scarcity of the asset, not inflate it away. So like money as a social construct is is a scarcity game. At least Basically that's what games. I've come to believe, right? I, <laughs> I think, I mean, maybe this is like a new thought for the world and the, the rest of the world thinks we're crazy, but I think that this perspective and understanding this perspective is a very useful thing to guide your decision-making in Ethereum. And so maybe this is a new thought for the world, uh, and that's fine, but you know this is a new industry for the world. And to whatever degree that this perspective helps you in your understanding of how these systems work, that is a useful thing to know. Well, let's talk about the rules. There are a mm -hmm. few rules, right? But mm -hmm. let's talk about rule number one. Maybe that's all we're ready to talk about today. What is rule number one, David? Yeah, rule number one, I think we could chalk that up as the only real rule because all the cool thing about Ethereum is that it's infinite and all rules are possible. But rule number one is the rule. And that is the rule of keeping yourself in the game, right? So you, you can play the game really safely by buying Ether and then keeping it in cold storage and never touching it. And that's really safe. Or you can do more crazier stuff, riskier stuff by going like leverage, like 5X leverage long on DYDX with all of your supply. And that's really risky. 
that's breaking rule number one because going 5x long on ether is putting you in a position for you to lose all of your resources right so like imagine you're playing zelda or like diablo or like world of warcraft and like you take all of your armor and your swords and all of your like consumables and then you you gamble it right like you try you try and 5x all of those things well, if you lose all those things, then you have no weapon, you have no shield, you have no armor, you have no, no health potions. Like if you lose all of your stuff, you're out of the game, right? You're yeah, you see game. a screen that looks like this. Right. You need you're trying to avoid. So you can do risky stuff like going 5x long on ether, but you shouldn't do it with your whole entire stack because you need to stay in the game, right? You should do it with a responsible amount of money that keeps you in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, David, we should talk a little bit about uh, these games mm -hmm. in general, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, you've you've compared these to Conway's Game of Life because mm -hmm. all of these games on the Ethereum, if, if Ethereum is sort of a canvas mm -hmm. for these types of, of money games, you have all of these protocols, all of these money games going on simultaneously and they're kind of um, competing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They are also like obeying the algorithms of their code and their and their construction and it almost starts to resemble like living organisms mm -hmm. can you talk about conway's game of life and you know how that relates here yeah so conway's game of life is a pretty interesting computer science experiment and what you see on the screen right now is and again if you're watching this on the podcast go to youtube because that's where you get to watch us look at things while we talk about them but conway's game of life it's a grid right it's like a it's like a it's like gr your graph paper in you know elementary school and there are certain uh, certain cells are uh, colored white and certain cells are colored black and then there's a set of rules for like if you have exactly 3 uh, white neighbors and if, like uh, two black neighbors, then you're, if you are a white cell, then you will switch to a black cell. And then there are certain, certain rules for if you are in one state and your neighbors are in that state as well or a different state, then you will switch states. And so over time, you can create these patterns of cells that will change based on their surroundings, based on the parameters around them. And so as people created this game of life, they found out that using a specific construction of types of, uh, of patterns of cells, either a one or a zero, black or white, uh, will create something that uh, lives, that, that, that does things, uh, repeats and, and recycles and, and creates something that um, doesn't die. Like there are these things called gliders that, can, that just move forward. There are these like things that interact with each other and make gliders, like a, like a factory contract on Uniswap is, is how I um, uh, illustrate that. But the point is, is that it's very much like a, a chessboard, a checkers board, and then there are updates to the checkers board. And that's very much like the state machine of Ethereum because Ethereum moves in this very serial manner. It's like one block, two block, three block. And each of these blocks is a time for people to make moves or not. And when we coalesce, coalesce all the applications on Ethereum in DeFi, we create this like ecosystem of combining patterns of cells that all interact with each other. And what you see on the screen is some guy who had a lot of time, uh, <laughs> who, who made out this, who made this massive diverse ecosystem of uh, just uh, organisms using Conway's game of life and it coalesces into an economy, right? And so each of these individual little like uh, patterns are part of a larger whole 
that is itself, if you take this metaphor to the end, is itself Ethereum, right? All of the activity in these like different patterns of organisms becomes Ethereum. So these are all money games basically that we're watching. This is like money, money games. An organic economy is mm-hmm. kind of what we see. Mm-hmm. That's why I love, um, we brought it up in the last um, State of the Nation, but that that picture of like um, all of the different money protocols, you know, like where, where was Uniswap was like Pac-Man eating mm-hmm. the others. Mm-hmm. Now at certain times, some, some of these organisms will become more dominant and mm-hmm. start eat, eating liquidity from others. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is very much how it looks. It's sort of this organic, you know, set of money games this is this gets pretty complex too wow i haven't yeah and i think i thought maybe i don't really know the guy that made this video how much hours he put into it i'm assuming assuming (laughs) it's a lot but a lot of that complexity must be emergent right like he sure like he's like the central planner of the initial state but the state grows in its own way from beyond that so some of these things happen automatically absolutely well very interesting all right so let's relate that to you as we promised to something that that has been going on currently or something that happened uh, last week, and that is yams. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this in the last State of the Nation, um, about like, and that was really the day yams launched. Yep. So I guess just to get folks up to speed, if you've been uh, on vacation the last week, right? <laughs> like you have, sucks. it's just, I, I, I tweeted this out the other day, like, you know, you take a day off and you, you, you miss eight yield mining opportunities, right? It's just like this stuff is happening so quickly. Um, but anyways, if you if you missed it, uh, Yam was a um, kind of a derivative off of the the idea of Ampleforth, basically, where you have some sort of a, an asset that rebases. In Yam's case, it was rebasing every twelve hours um, to a um, uh, to to kind of meet its its market cap. So if it was above a dollar, the supply would inflate. If it was below a dollar supply would deflate. Anyway, the details, the intro, um, we can, you know, check out the last day of the nation episode nine. Anyway, what happened was, um, yams got absolutely bonkers crazy, right? So this is a, a contract that was written in 10 days. Basically it was a fork of a synthetics contract, but unaudited, right? Completely unaudited. Um, but the, uh, the DeFi gamers, someone called them, uh, degenerates, um, deposited an incredible amount of funds inside of the yam contract in order to earn that that gaming reward of more yams so the way it works is basically um you have all of these farms that are set up i'm not going to unlock my wallet <laughs> <laughs> uh you have all these farms set up and um you can you can basically deposit in different assets mm-hmm. so you can deposit in wi-fi or eth or all of these different assets and based on the amount that you deposit and some other parameters you get a return you, you harvest yams basically so we got to a point where there was over 600 million mm-hmm. in value 600 million in value deposited into these yams farm the, the yams farm and the market cap of yams as well um, you know, I, I wasn't tracking, it's, it's difficult. The tracking places don't have exact, mm-hmm. um, metrics on, on yam, but I believe it got to like 750 million, like close to a billion dollars in market mm-hmm. cap. Um, before the whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing started to, uh, collapse, David, maybe you want to take it from there. Like, so what's, so what happened with the collapse? Cause uh, all, all, everything I talked about happened within about, you know, 48 hours. Right. 
and then something started to go wrong. You want to take it from here? Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a forty eight hour game. Uh, and, okay. <laughs> and and before before I finish off the, the the story of yams, I do want to talk about how like yams presented different difficulty levels. And I think one of the reasons why yams was so popular is because it had a very accessible easy mode. Because the easiest thing you could do was like submit ether into the system, and then you get yams, right? And it's also important when we talk about the safety and security of these systems, because as the listeners probably know, yams blew up. But the whole thing didn't blow up. A specific uh, contract of the yam system blew up. And so the people that deposited their $600 million of value into yams, that part was uh, extra secure, super secure, because all the, the place that you submitted your value was just a bucket for submitting value. Like it didn't do anything with it. It was very, very inert. And so vetting the risk of these systems takes nuance and understanding because the part of the yams that blew up was unrelated to the place that people submitted their capital. So the submitted capital was never at risk, right? Not, not from the way that yams blew up. So, so the way it blew up, is my understanding, yep. is you know all of that 600 million mm-hmm. that was deposited is completely safe. But where it blew up was its governance module. Mm-hmm. So what Yams was trying to do was take you know ten percent of its rebases on the upside mm-hmm. and put that into um, a stablecoin reserve mm-hmm. of sorts. And it was that stablecoin reserve portion that blew up. And the idea was you know Yam holders would be able to govern like you know the protocol to some degree and be able to to determine what happens with that that reserve. So it was that stablecoin reserve that effectively, like it 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 blew up in such a way that um, yams could no longer be governed. Is right. that about right? Yeah, the the treasury could. Yeah, the the governance module broke, and so there was an interaction between the treasury uh, and the governance module and the rebasing system. So those three things created a result that was like a it was like a mutation that didn't go well. Like it was, it was, yeah. a, it was a bad combination. And that's, that's, uh, that's as a result of probably the hastily generated game that had like a faulty game board. Like instead, right. of, instead of the path of the game, like going to finish line, it like veered off the edge. Um, yep. And so what happened was that, you know, g- uh, governance needs to have a, a quorum of yams but yams rebased. And so the supply of yams changed. And so all of a sudden the quorum got really, really difficult. And finding quorum and uh, was needed to, ha- needed to happen in a certain amount of time. And then it did happen, which actually a really cool story is like enough yams did reach quorum to fix the issue, but turns out there was another bug behind the bug, right? So the governance module rebasing and treasury link between those three things didn't link up. And so as a result, yams turned into something much closer to just a, a much more inert thing like Ampleforth, but it also had a 10% tax because that's how the treasury was filled. But the treasury was being filled without anybody to actually make a claim on it, right? And so that broke. Um, now here's where things get interesting because this was a game and the game ended. Except I think my, my claim is that the game is still being played, but it's being played off chain. And we saw this happen by by people still flooding the Yam Discord, but there being a ton of energy and discussion about Yams in the Yam Discord. And most importantly, in the course of I think like seventy hours, a hundred thousand dollars got donated to fund an audit of the Yam V two system that is supposedly coming out. Right, and so 
yam the yam community and, and also all games on ethereum require community because you need players there's a lot of players who are playing the yam game that want the yam game to continue right they want to remake the board in a way that the path of the board doesn't veer off the edge but it finishes right it does what it's supposed to do and so it's a court it's now a coordination game it used to be a money game which is also to some degree a coordination game but now it's completely a coordination game where all the yam players are trying to figure out how to get the game restarted right and so there's a generally assumed path where the yam version one token is going to be redeemed for a yam version two token and the yam version two token is inert it's just a normal erc20 token which is this placeholder for the yam version three uh, uh token and that token is supposed to in theory comes out after the audits after we have successful audits and and with patience um and the game currently is now speculating that that is going to happen right yeah and so the, this is not the, the game is not over and it's still a highly risky game perhaps the most risky game on ethereum but if you want to play the yam game you are now speculating that the yam game will continue or not so it's now a different game in a different part of ethereum now it's off chain and it's a speculation will the game make it back onto the board like will yeah. we make it back onto ethereum and let's be perfectly clear what the game is, right? Like, I can't use any clearer language than this. This is a Ponzi game, right? It's a game of basically buying low before everyone else and mm -hmm. selling high, right. right? Or holding, if you want, until Yam becomes the global reserve asset yeah. of the world. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's a yeah. similar yeah. game. Yeah. Right. So it's a similar game as the um, the Bitcoin game, mm -hmm. only with far less legitimacy. Mm -hmm. But... A very interesting distribution mechanism right. in that it's not going to VCs or like being I quote unquote pre-mined. Mm -hmm. um, anyone has access to uh, a, a yam farm who has some capital. Now it's still a whale game to be mm -hmm. honest, mm -hmm. because the the people with uh, large amounts of DeFi capital are going to disproportionately get um, more yams, of mm -hmm. course, right? Um, however. It's different than the the whale games of of uh, venture capitalists in Sand Hill Road and Silicon Valley in that it's accessible to anyone, mm -hmm. um, and I do think that is an interesting distinction in this type of a game. But it is that's what you're playing. If you're you're making a bet, as the, as David said, that yams will um, be be resurrected in some sort of second level, second version, and you're also making a bet on the Ponzi game. But um, I thought yams may have been dead as well right because it was quite a uh, quite an epic um ascent and then descent mm -hmm. and even the developer was like one of the developers was like i'm sorry guys like yeah. this was a bad idea yeah. um but now i like if you look here it's not only social coordination going on off chain but it's also there's 370 million dollars mm -hmm. still locked in this thing mm -hmm. that's 370 million dollars worth of farming that activity that's still happening so um someone's betting on something here and then if you look at, um, okay, so yeah, market cap right now. Um, I said earlier it got to like 750 million, something like that. Um, I'm not sure that Etherscan is updating this correctly, mm -hmm. right? So this says market cap of VMs right now is 25 million, but I'm not sure that, that this total supply is correct because supply continuously rebates. Yeah, is that Ether, right, David? Etherscan is not equipped for rebasing. Uh, it, it was not equipped for rebasing with Ampleforth, and it's definitely not. It's still not equipped for rebasing. Like rebasing is this very creative mechanism that infrastructure like Etherscan is not yet equipped to present.
Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to sort of uh, calculate the um, scaling factor of yams. Um, I actually was able to figure this out from, from somebody before we, we came here up here. It's where you see this would be the correct calculation of what yams are right now, the market cap at a price of 55 cents be about instead of 25 million fully diluted 31 million. So again, quite a descent from, from its highs, but it seems like people are still playing the money game. David, um, we put out a thread on Friday, mm -hmm. which I knew would be controversial, but yep. it, it was basically like, hey, DeFi, hey, Ethereum, hey, bankless community, do you love or do you hate yams? And I'm talking specifically about these types of Ponzi-esque mm -hmm. money games, speculative money games. And again, Ponzi, not the Ponzi scam, but the Ponzi, the game, you have to buy early and speculate. Um, and I feel like the community is somewhat divided. <laughs> so here's a comment saying, Yam is the symbol of everything wrong in DeFi. Um, it doesn't do anything, right? Like this is not like peak insanity. Mm -hmm. This will end very badly like the ICO craze. Um, others like had a divided opinion, right? Um, excited that this kind of game is possible in a way that was never previously been possible, but also like it was hastily launched and, you know, maybe the game is, is sort of um, not correctly informing noobs as to, as to the risks and speculative nature of it. What's your take on yams good or bad these types of money games good or bad yeah um money games absolutely good and specific iterations of money games also very good like yearn and yiffy good money game i would also bucket yam into the good money game category largely because it was a fair launch with uh, good intentions uh, i know two of the five people uh on the, the yam team one's dan elzer the other others will price i've met dan in real life and i've met will online and so me maybe because I know more people in the space than the average person, I have like privileged information just from knowing these guys. But I trust them. Like Dan's a nice guy. I I, I trust his morals. And so from that perspective, uh, for me, Yams was a good game, uh, and very much in the same way that in 2015 and 2016, ICOs were good. The best, the early ICOs were like Augur, uh, and and uh, Golem and uh, Gnosis. Uh, excuse me, Gnosis. Uh, and the ICO mechanism was a great way to receive funding and distribute your tokens. And then it became bad, right? And then it got milked and milked and milked at the cost of retail. So I understand when people are seeing like, oh, this is the worst of the worst of DeFi is because like maybe, maybe there is something here and maybe the people that are hating on these games aren't seeing like, are there, are there kind of not seeing the good parts because they are seeing the future bad parts coming. And that's totally fair. And if we do think that we are on the cusp of this bull market with a bunch of new entrances, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of money games that are very bad money games that are really set up to benefit uh, the people that designed them because they know how they work and in order to milk retail, right? And that's kind of what, that's what we saw with the ICO, where the ICO was initially good and then people found out that they could milk retail with it. And so that's what I'm worried about. Also, what about the charge that like, these games aren't really doing much for the for the world, right? So a bunch of early whales like get rich. Who cares, right? Aren't we here to go bankless? What about that charge? Yeah, so 
going going bankless and and leaving your uh, nation state, taking your capital and leaving your nation state, putting out Ethereum is is a subject that I think is relatively separate from money games uh, because you can like take your money and put it inside a compound and earn an interest rate. And like technically the way that we are describing things, we therefore state that you are playing games and the user may not think of him like that. Think of it like that. Like they just may think that I'm trying to receive an interest rate on my money. Like I'm not playing a game and that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Like the, the bankless uh, nation is a much bigger thing than just these money games. The only idea, the, the reason why we call these money games money games is because we are thinking that it's an appropriate way to view these things and understand these things, right? Um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I guess my take is, so um, Ethereum is an open um, permissionless platform. Mm -hmm. These things are going to come. And some of the games, as you said, David, are going to be uh, scams and, and toxic um, and some of them are going to be a bit more transparent, uh, mm -hmm. speculative Ponzi games. And I feel like our job as the bankless nation is to um, educate folks on the game that they're playing mm -hmm. so they know, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you were playing the ICO game back in 2017, it was not a game based on any sort of fundamental right. cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. So the game you were playing, whether you knew it or not, was a game of selling to the next guy right who, who who buys at a at a higher price it was completely speculative there was nothing really backing that's similar to honestly what the yams game is um it's a it's a speculative game that you're just trying to sell it for higher than you bought it for essentially and i feel like if people are clear on what they're actually buying i think a lot of people bought icos um in an uninformed way they thought that success of the project might be correlated with value of the token they thought that the um, like the token itself was um, <laughs> like the project itself was real when in reality it, it hadn't shipped mm -hmm. all sorts of things. So I feel like the best place to be is to stay educated on these mm -hmm. topics. And uh, we hope to play a role in like informing you about these various money games. So if you choose to play them, you know, the game you're playing, you know, that like, there's someone uh there's not someone behind it who can bend the rules right. in their favor right um yeah i think it's important to think about where this could go right and so we're, we always discuss like if you if you take a day off in DeFi, like you're behind i yeah. think we are just at the beginning of that uh I, and we saw this evidence by the creation of yams which was the integration of like three or four other mechanisms from other protocols that did we just the creators of the yam system found out like hey what if we took this puzzle piece and this puzzle piece and this puzzle piece and put them together and that's yams right yeah. i think that compounding possibility of of possible valid moves is about to explode like we are on the cusp of that and as more valid moves are created, more and more possible experiments will result. And so we are just seeing the basic primitives, like the rebasing invented by Ampleforth is a primitive, right? That is going to be recycled and reused over and over and over again. And maybe it's one small component of a massively more complex thing that we create as the developers of these systems get better at developing them. And so going back to that video that you showed on your screen, Ryan, of, um, of Conway's Game of Life, we are in the very small, uh, very, um, very might like the, the the smallest version of Conway's Game of Life. We are in the very primitive state, but as that game grows, it becomes more and more and more complex. Right? 
we in in two to five to ten years we are going to see some of the most insanely complex and fun games on ethereum and they're going to come out of experimentation that we are seeing in DeFi today i totally agree 100 percent agree these experiments are, are net good for um everything to come in the future we're building up primitives here david speaking of money games we should talk about our next set of sponsors uh do you want to kick it off with ampleforth yeah ampleforth uh father of modern rebasing uh ampleforth <laughs> created the rebasing mechanism and is responsible for a lot of the creativity that we see on ethereum today so ampleforth is a base money experiment you could call it a base money game very much similar to Bitcoin in that if you own 1% of Ample tokens, you will always own 1% of Ample tokens. But instead of having a fixed supply and variable price like Bitcoin, Ampleforth has a fixed price variable supply, right? So it's inverse, right? It's not a stable coin, even though the unit of Ampleforth tracks $2019 over time. Uh, the volatility, it comes from the volatility in the supply, right? So you purchase 100 uh, Ampleforce and then you will see that ample, uh, 100 Ampleforce go to like 200 Ampleforce or 50 Ampleforce, while the unit will always be a dollar. And when we're seeing how successful of a mechanism this is in the way that people are copycatting it and using it in their own protocol. So check them out at ampleforth.org. They have their own uh, liquidity incentivization mechanism called the Geyser. If you supply Ampleforth and Ether to the Uniswap pool, you can get a little extra bonus of Ampleforth tokens. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's Ampleforth. All right. I also want to tell you about a poly market. So the quest for prediction markets on Ethereum and using DeFi protocols continues and poly.market has a really interesting take. So if you go to poly.market, you can bet on your beliefs. This is like an information market. So you can see some of the market categories they have, coronavirus, crypto, uh, you can even create your own markets. This is an interesting category we've talked about on, on Bankless. Uh, one of my favorites is make a bet on will Ethereum V2 phase zero launch before 2021? 64% um, think yes. 36% think no. What do you think, David? Just curious. Uh, I, oh, that, I think that's fair odds. I think fair that's odds. fair odds. All right, so, so David might enter this market. Uh, equally on both sides, I guess. Well, that would make him net zero. I'm not sure what David would do with this market. But if you want to bet on things like that, you can. They even update it with interesting things like uh, amount of YAM being delegated. So you can go to poly.market and start betting on DeFi protocols. And if you do this and you email hello at poly.market with Bankless in the subject line, they will cover your gas costs and give you early access to unreleased features, gas cost coverage is a net benefit in these times of you know, 200, 300 GUI gas fees. So check them out at poly.market. We'll include them in the show notes as well. David, let's talk about our next uh, topic here. And then what we'll do in like, at the end is kind of turn it over to, to the Bankless community and the YouTube to, um, to ask some questions and finish this off. But let's talk about Curve really quick. So um, Curve released their token. They started releasing their yield farming mechanism for their CRV token last week. Um, I was shocked at the market cap, at the price of this baby mm -hmm. when it launched. Like, so 
here it is. It got up to like $80 billion, didn't it? Yes. So here it is on CoinGecko at 70 billion. They must take a, like a, you know, like some kind of a one day average or something. Yeah. That's showing when, 70 million, but they're missing three zeros there. It was definitely when, 70 or 80 billion. Yes, it was. And when I looked on, um, yeah, in fact, I don't think these numbers are accurate. Well, this, this is accurate as of now it's a, it's worth $11 billion right now. Um, when I looked at this on Saturday, we were like 130 billion, 120, 130 billion. So it briefly exceeded the market cap of certainly of Ethereum. I don't know. Did it succeed the market cap of exceed the market cap of Bitcoin? Uh, no, um, not a maybe. Bitcoin. Bitcoin's like 250 billion. Okay, I think. all right. That would be crazy. getting close though, right? Getting mm-hmm. close. Um, so an absolutely insane valuation, at least at first. And the way it launched was somewhat odd, right? So. Um, the, the way it launched was basically the, the curve team had put out some code sort of an unreleased version. And this guy, this person on Twitter or organization on Twitter, um, a simple farmer, DeFi Chad, he was the one who activated the curve governance contracts, the curve yield farming mechanism. So individual group paid $800 in gas fees to activate this this contract prior to the curve team formerly releasing it so a little weird a little interesting um and there's lots of speculation around that so anyway like back to the fact so it was activated and then curve came out and said since it was activated mm-hmm. without our permission our knowledge we're just going to go with it because right. we have no other choice mm-hmm. uh, in the meanwhile people had started to yield farm curve mm-hmm. early right and if you're in early with yield farming, you, you, you kind of, uh, I guess you, you get outsized returns, you get outsized returns, right? Mm-hmm. Cause so, no, because um, no one else is yield farming. So you have a disproportionately large part. Exactly. Of the exactly. So there's controversy over the, the launch. Um, the, the, the value of the token has fallen, uh, steeply, of course, which it had to, I mean, that's just it was gravity, appropriate but it's still, too, yeah. mm-hmm. it's appropriate. It's still $11 billion, which right. seems awfully, awfully rich. Yep. Um, for a capital asset. But yeah, that's basically what happened. And there's some controversy around it that we could get into. But uh, David, do you have any quick takes here? Yeah. Um, so there, the, the controversy around this, the, the launch was that, you know, we are now kind of used to the status quo of fair launches, right? Like no VC pre-mine, no founders rewards, but that's the money's still enticing. And so the, the nefarious, malicious uh, opinion of what happened was that this DeFi Chad guy, who's an anonymous Twitter account, uh, was this was a plan, right? And uh, the plan was to deploy the, the contracts under this anonymous account. And then uh, from Curve, they say like, oh, somebody deployed our contracts. But somebody got to like pre, basically pre-mine. It's basically a pre-mine because it was released before anyone knew it, right? So the, the, the criticism is that this was really done by the Curve team and they just wanted to to have the outsized returns. I don't know. Uh, that is a thought. There's nothing to back that up. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but that is what is uh, the, the worst, the, the least generous uh, interpretation of those events. Um, yeah, that's what um, I think a good summary of that interpretation or that possibility uh, and criticism of the way it was launched is found in this mm, Twitter thread mm-hmm. by Adam Cochran. So we'll include that in the show notes. But it, it does seem that um, whatever happened with respect to like the, you know, the fairness mm-hmm. sort of people getting in early, 
it seems like this was maybe done to avoid some re regulatory scutiny, right? Also just totally like, fair. Right. It's just totally kind of like hands off. We right. didn't, we didn't deploy this thing. Mm -hmm. Somebody else did. Right. We don't know who, yep. um, which is, which is, uh, quite interesting as well. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you've got, you've seen any crypto lawyer feedback on that, like a Jake or somebody like that, but no, J Jake would never say anything. He wouldn't touch it or no, uh, -uh. <laughs> he wouldn't touch that. Yeah. Uh, -uh. Um, yeah, but, but that is a good point. There are, uh, unknown regulatory risks with launching these things because there's no there's absolutely zero sort of information about the state of whether these things are dubious compliantly dubious regulatory issues it's unknown and so it's it's fair to assume that like these people that are kicking off these yield farming events are trying to to disconnect from that that's that's fair yeah and um we will include a link to where that yield farming can be done just in case you're interesting um interested again like the earlier in these protocols you start yield farming the more mm -hmm. risky it is yes so right. this again is maybe not quite yam on the spectrum of risk right but um it's pretty close going through the door first is risky right and i would exactly. also say even the design of curve is this does this is not an easy mode game this is a, a hard mode game and uh largely it's because of the gas fees right and so i actually started to, uh. to farm curve at the very beginning uh, because the returns were ridiculous at an 88 billion dollar um, valuation uh you could make just a ridiculous amount of returns. It was something like five fifty thousand APR for like on an hourly basis, right? So, right. so I'm like, okay, like I'll I'll go into yield. It's farm. worth the risk at that uh, point. Yeah. Um, now I'm not like the the biggest DeFi whale, and so I got burned on gas fees going in and out of the pool. So it cost Ooh. me. 0.5 gas to get into the pool and point and 0.5 ether to get into the pool and 0.5 Ooh. ether to get out of the pool and i yeah. and i farmed 0.35 ether worth of curve so i oh got boy. i got burned uh, yeah and and so this is not a game for everyone and this is kind of why it's advantageous to be a whale in the space because you can pay for those gas fees because it's more efficient right and so when you are making the calculus as to what moves you want to make or not, like I, I messed up and I lost that game because I have less money than I do now. And so therefore I lost. Right. And so and I, you, you messed up because of gas fees. I messed up particular. because of gas fees. Right. Mm -hmm. And by the way, what do you deposit in curve? It's like uh, some sort of a, um, you like a stable coin, right? Like yeah. you deposit a die or you could deposit a USDC or something. This is also why this is not an easy game because it's a two-step game where you deposit stable coins, your preferred stable coin, USDC, Tether, DAI, and then you get the Y DAI, Y, y USDC, Y Tether version of that, which is the interest-bearing version. And then you submit that to the Y Curve DAO governance uh, portal which is then where you get your curve tokens. Uh, where that's where you start farming, right? And so it's it's a two-step process, whereas yams was a one-step process. Yeah. And getting in and out of the y the y curve stablecoin pool is really expensive, really expensive. Yeah, and just like converting what you said, 0.5 ETH into dollar terms, right? So like I don't know, 150 dollars twice. So, so. I, I spent a whole ether in gas to receive uh, a third of an ether in farmed. Okay, so four hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. You spent two hundred dollars mm -hmm. to receive how much ether? 0.34. Yeah. So mm -hmm. net loss, right? A net loss of and, two thirds of an ETH. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is why um, I think there, you know, I think some within DeFi are starting to um, get upset and a bit jaded at these gas fees because the argument is, um, hey, like if gas fees are three hundred guay, then the only people that can afford gas fees, high gas fees 
are folks that are dealing in large capital pools, right? So like to make that trade worth it, basically what you said is like, I'd have to have a, at least a thousand dollars or so, right? Mm -hmm. Or actually way not sure more, how much for curve. 10, more, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to have, and that was when curve was sky high, right? right? right. So right. if I was depositing in curve now, then like, you know, different story. I'd probably need like, I don't know, 30, $50,000 right. something right. like that right. before it's even worth it. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the criticism. What do you think of that criticism, David? I think it's totally fair. And that's why this, the current gas markets is not good. Um, I mean, it's good for Ethereum because fees are good, but it's really crowding out a lot of, you know, smaller players that, that want to play games, but the, it's, it, it turns out like the, the current games on Ethereum are like, you know, $5,000 minimum poker tables, right? Like, yeah. Like, like that, it's just not suitable for everyone. And so a lot of people are on the sidelines, like watching all these like rich whales have a lot of fun. It's, it's not the, the best environment. I'm not going to say that I'm happy about it. And yeah, not only have a lot of fun, but also make a lot of money. Right. And then sometimes dump that right. on less savvy right. players of the game, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right. so like somebody who might not understand how to vet games very well might look at like, okay, yield farming. I don't really know how to do it. It sounds risky. The gas is really expensive. You know what I'm just going to do? I'm going to buy the, the curve token. And if you did that on the first day, you bought a curve token that was valued at $88 billion when uh, Ether was valued at like $40 billion. So that also yeah. wasn't a good move either. So really you were kind of just forced to sit out, right? And if you didn't know how to evaluate the game, you might have made the mistake of buying curve at an $88 billion valuation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in our podcast with Haseeb, which is coming out next Monday, we talk a little bit about that, like DeFi in layer two, uh, DeFi in ETH two, mm -hmm. right? And how the main chain basically is shaping up to become a settlement chain, mm -hmm. right? The original Ethereum 1.0 main chain is kind of like a Manhattan, basically, where things are going to get really expensive and not all transactions can be done in Manhattan. It will become like uh, a town, an area, a district for the mm -hmm. wealthy. And that is the economic reality that mm -hmm. I think ETH1 becomes a settlement layer. But that's why we need layer two solutions. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we need ETH2.0 to, to create some more space, more space some more right. geography, some other, like Hasib calls it, you know, the, uh, other suburbs, mm -hmm. other, other farmland that where, where gas fees aren't completely prohibitive. We get some more room to breathe. I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish about that in the long term, yeah. but I think in the short run, it's going to be tough. But we are seeing things like um, optimistic roll-ups, mm -hmm. layer two. I'm, I think that will start showing up in, in fall, and that uses the security of the Ethereum main chain for things. We're also seeing things like XDAI, for instance. This is just a side chain. It's not even, it's not like, uh, it doesn't use the security of Ethereum. But you can run DAI, for instance, in XDAI, and um, it's reasonably secure, right? Like it's, it's almost like a crypto bank level of security. So there's lots of different things that I think are going to scale this out, but I don't expect an immediate fix here. I think, um, yeah, I think it's going to be some, you know, 200 to 300 way prices for quite some time. Yeah. It's not going down. Yeah. The, the important thing about, all the development and scaling solutions is that there are many different paths to go down and it's really all about optionality, right? Like sharding creates options. 
L2 systems yeah. create options, like rollups create options, XDI creates options, and these options compound upon each other, right? And so yeah. we, we don't get linear scale yeah. in many different directions. The optionality of being able to scale multiple things in multiple different ways uh, is really how, uh, you know, small fries, uh, got people with like less than 100 ETH, less than $10,000 can play some of the similar games as, as the big guys, right? Uh, and it be, because of that optionality. Also, I do want to bring up um, uh, how um, Yearn and Yiffy, what Andre built with Yearn is a gas optimization mechanism because anyone that is yield farming uh. with their capital is making a bunch of transactions on Ethereum and they're all doing that. But instead, if they just deposit their capital into Yearn, into this automated uh, thing, if you know 500 people were all making 500 transaction, transactions each trying to maximize yield, and instead they put it into Yearn, that's one transaction for 500 people that does the same thing. And so that is also this internal uh, scaling solution, which just makes things more efficient. And this is how Bitcoiners actually think Bitcoin is going to scale. If you played an Xbox 360 game in year one, and then you bought an Xbox 360 game that came out like a decade later, the graphics were like orders of magnitude better. It looked like a different system. And that's because the developers just learned to be more efficient with like the graphics of that game. And I think that's going to also become true about developers that, you know, you know not too long ago, gas prices were one way right like two, two or three or four months ago but gas prices were one way so developers weren't really incentivized to figure out how to be efficient now developers are really incentivized how to be efficient and so we're experimenting in efficiency in all different directions and that efficiency compounds and having optionality in how you scale is really important for having that compounding scale yeah i mean i mean look at a city like manhattan right i mean there was a time where it was relatively like flat we're talking 150 years ago and what did they do to scale partially? Well, they built up, they built skyscrapers, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of how um, it, it could emerge. And they also uh, built down more right? with the subway. Yep, mm -hmm. more efficiency through each unit of geography, more efficiency mm -hmm. through each unit of block space. Mm -hmm. And you're right, the economic pressures will sort of force them into that. Um, I was listening, last thing, and then we'll turn it over to uh, the folks in the bankless community for questions. Um, I was listening to the Peter McCormick uh, Vitalik interview with uh, Samson. Um, did you catch that, David? Yeah, uh, it it pissed me off, man. I, <laughs> I, I had to turn it off yeah. last night. And this is one thing I'm concerned about with Vitalik because I wanted Vitalik to take the offensive because he wouldn't. Vitalik is very, very peaceful. He's very pacifist. And Samson was being a fucking asshole. He was like, being a bully. He was being a bully. And, and he was just being a wrong bully. And Vitalik yeah. wouldn't call him out on it because of how nice Vitalik is. And, like, it was the most disingenuous. But don't you think, David, like, that came through to anyone who was listening? I'm just not like so sure, man. I'm not so sure. Because Peter McCormick's audience are, are a bunch of Bitcoiners that hear things like what Samson Mao says as, like, gospel. I am not so sure. Yeah, I mean, what, so one of the things that that kills me with criticism is like things like, and this is back to relate back to our question, uh, our, our earlier conversation is, um, you know, kept pressing Vitalik on gas fees, that sort mm -hmm, of thing. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin has the same freaking problem. Yeah. When Bitcoin is in high demand, mm -hmm. Bitcoin block space is in high demand, transactions become too expensive to use. Only you know what they do to scale Bitcoin mm -hmm. is it scales essentially on crypto bank infrastructure right. and side right. chains like Coinbase and Binance mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Ethereum has a, a slew of other options. I just find a lot of the criticisms 
aren't equally applied to right. both to both networks. Absolutely. But one thing in the um, the interview, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but um, Vitalik gave a couple shout outs to Bankless. Oh, I must have turned uh, it off get, before that. Oh, dude. Yeah, get there. So he talked uh, twice about a uh, conversation, the Bankless podcast that we did with him. And then he also used the term economic bandwidth. He did. I did. I did hear that. I did yeah. hear that. That was pretty so, cool. Yeah. So you know, some The part, some the part that, that pissed me off the most was, uh, and, and to, to continue your conversation of how Bitcoin scales, Bitcoin is going to scale on Ethereum. And that's going to be how it scales <laughs> without having to succumb to, to crypto banks. If you want to use uh, Bitcoin expressively, it's going to come to Ethereum. Uh, yeah. Bitcoiners got really excited about uh, the micro strategy purchase of like 21,000 Bitcoins. Well, there's 43,000 Bitcoins on Ethereum. Like that's twice yeah. as big. Yeah, and so converting that to monetary terms, it's 250 million versus like something like 500 million, right? right? So MicroStrategy purchased 250 million Bitcoin mm -hmm. and there's already 500 million tokenized Bitcoin right. on Ethereum. Right, and so Ethereum is going to scale. We are currently scaling and Bitcoin is going to scale by coming over to Ethereum. And what you know what, what really pissed me off the most was that Samson Mao uh, said to Vitalik, to his face on the podcast, lying through his teeth, that people in DeFi are preferring to use wrapped versions of Bitcoin instead of Ether. Oh, dude. Because, I because that. It, it offered a stronger foundation. Which is, is that like, where you turned it off at that point? That's where I turned it off. I was like, this is, this is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, it's so a lie. The, the, the belief is that Bitcoin itself is a, is a, a very sturdy foundation and that you, you build big structures on sturdy foundations and Ethereum isn't yeah. that sturdy of a foundation. That's a fair criticism. And that's the criticism that was baked into that argument. But what Samson Mao forgot about is that in order to get Bitcoin onto Ethereum, you have to have trust in something like RenBTC that you have to make sure that protocol works or wrapped Bitcoin. You have to make that Bitco is going to do that correctly or TBTC like they haven't gotten out the gate. But he just TBTC, TBTC, you actually have to have ETH to right. make the trustless yeah. Bitcoin work. And so he just glossed over this uh, massive trust assumption that this is just going to work because he wanted to spin the narrative of just like, yeah, you know, people in DeFi want to use WBTC, which is just abjectly false. Yeah. Oh God, it riled, it just fucking riled me up. It, uh, me too, because I think that is the, um, the deception that's going on, right? Like, um, to be honest, the Bitcoin story is is simple mm -hmm. to understand. Mm -hmm. But like when they lie about the Ethereum story, mm -hmm. it frustrates me. Here's the thing is the other thing Samson was doing that pissed me off is I consider myself a Bitcoiner. Right. All right. Same. Like if you ask me, but I'm not Samson Bitcoiner. Right. Right. Like that, like Bitcoiners are right. Maximalists are wrong. Right. You know, like I can be a Bitcoiner and mm -hmm. also be an Ethereum. Right. Right. I mean, that's what the bankless nation is. It's mm -hmm. optimizing for the most bankless right. money system Absolutely. wherever it exists. Mm -hmm. And so his, I think his painting of Bitcoiners as pure maximalists mm -hmm. is, um, it's just not going to age well. You know what, I don't you think know that's think why people doing? are entering the space for. You know what I think he's doing? What? <laughs> I, think, I think he's playing the Bitcoin game. And the Bitcoin game is to get everyone to buy Bitcoin. And so he's playing a game where he is trying to brainwash people by lying in order to get them to play the game. Because it, when more people play the Bitcoin game, Bitcoiners, the people that have, have already been playing the Bitcoin game win, right? And so I think it is a... And also, Samson Mao comes from Blockstream, which is an attempt to build a expressive sidechain for Bitcoin on Ethereum or Bitcoin, uh, BTC on Bitcoin. And there's no bigger, stronger competitor than 
Ethereum to Blockstream. It's not it's not yeah. Bitcoin versus Ethereum. It's Blockstream versus Ethereum. Like no shit, Samson Mao doesn't like Vitalik and what he's built because his Ethereum is going to make Blockstream completely redundant and unnecessary. And also, by the way, uh, James Presswich, who is a very great developer on both Bitcoin and Ethereum, discovered a bug in the Blockstream Liquid network that is where this Bitcoin gets its expressivity that would allow someone to steal all the Bitcoins. And like he's talking about how ethereum is like this shaky foundation while his own liquid had this bug for months that no one discovered because no one fucking uses it excuse me for <laughs> using the f word look man i i think you're right i mean full circle here right samson is playing the game however i have a massive problem when you're playing the game unethically when you're lying about it right and by the way that's not the game i'm playing right like i i want I want a money system to actually be good for the world, right? I don't, I don't fucking care if like Bitcoin gets to trillions of dollars, but all we're left with is a, a banked money system that doesn't restore self-sovereignty to individuals. Like that's why I'm here. And um, I do think the tide is shifting a little bit, David. Like um, I think people who listen to Bankless and then tune into the McCormick interview are like, Oh, wow. <laughs> Is this really the kind of yeah. the intellectual mecca of maximalist? Yep. Because it's empty. Mm -hmm. It's like a dry closet of the closet right. of skeletons. Mm -hmm. There's like nothing there. There's no organic material. There's no substance there. So I'm mean, that's what that's why I continue to listen to the episode because I was just like, wow, this it's, is the best you've yeah. got. Yeah. It's man, I what I want to see a debate of is honestly is is um like uh, an Ethereum um debating on like ether <laughs> you know mm -hmm. I, I feel like we could make the argument a little bit better right as yeah. to why ethereum might fail yeah um absolutely that was not it yeah, that was that not was, it that was not it. it no that that was a, a, a bag inspired uh uh conversation from from samson mao and yeah. that, that's kind of what, like Vitalik's such a nice guy. Like he means the best. He doesn't really want to get offensive, but I would love to see a world where Vitalik like brought out the teeth because he could, Dude. Vitalik's very witty, very, Vitalik is really clever. And I think if he wanted to, if he, if he practiced at it, he could destroy Samson now. Yeah, I know. He's just, um, he's too nice. He's too nice. He's a, he's a better human, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he's better than all of us, that's for sure. Yeah, so <laughs> anyway, um, all right. We went on a rant there at the yeah. end, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let's turn it really quick to any questions. So, yeah, I've got one. What's oh, your guys' for... take on staking on a validator node versus yield farming? I have my answer for this one, Ryan. What's your answer? Um, okay, so it's a risk return answer, right? So um, I commented earlier on Twitter that... Um, all of this yield farming in DeFi is preparing us for the greatest yield farm in the world, which is staking our ETH, bonding our ETH, the initial bond offering of Ethereum. Now it's different. You know, people replied and said, oh yeah, show me where the like the 1000% uh, APY per day is on Ethereum. It's not there. Um, so staking Ethereum in a validator, taking your ETH and doing it there is going to be a much lower risk, not in the early days, right? Because ETH2 is new, but eventually it's going to be a much lower risk place to put your money. So um, you know how in the like regular traditional world, uh, people people call the, the risk-free rate, that's basically like the Fed rate for uh, returns on T-bills, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what staking ETH is going to be. It's going to be the 
risk-free rate of the Ethereum, the DeFi economy, essentially. So much lower risk, right? Um, because in order for ETH staking to fail, the entire protocol has to fail. Just yeah. like with, with T-bills, right? In order for T like the US government not to give you your money, mm -hmm. US government has to go away. Right. Like the foundationally, it's gone. So it's a much lower risk way to get a steady return. It's not the wild cowboy stuff of right. like a thousand percent per day, but mm -hmm. honestly, a portion of uh, my funds personally, I want to be in the crypto equivalent of the T-bill asset class, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's important to like, so the, the question like framed it as like returns on ETH staking versus returns on yield farming. And actually, I think you can categorize as ETH staking inside of yield farming, right? You are farming yeah. yield. And the best yeah. thing about staking is that it is designed to be as easy as possible, right? It is supposed to be like the tutorial for people coming into the Ethereum game, right? Like the basic and most simple and most trustless thing you can do is you can stake your ETH, right? And again, like you said, ETH staking when, when phase zero goes live is going to be hard. It's going to be expert mode and it's going to be high risk. And But the, the idea is that the UI and UX around the clients for staking your ETH and and also other systems for, for doing it for you will make this easy, right? The goal is to make this like the 101 game, right? Like you, yeah. en you enter the game, you go through the tutorial and that tutorial is staking Ether. Because the reason why we want that easy is because staking is supposed to be, supposed to enable maximum decentralization. So it has to be easy. If it was extremely difficult, then Ethereum wouldn't be decentralized. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I guess, um... Maybe one other thing, of course, is because of the super fluidity, as Dan Elitzer would say, of these protocols, who's to say you won't have a way to essentially take your tokenized staked ETH and then also add some risk, add some return to it and start yield farming with it. There will definitely be ways to do that in the future. So maybe you can have your cake and eat it too. So here's a question from a YouTuber. Uh, what do you think about chains like Polkadot, Fusion, or other interoperability chains for scaling? And I'm going to use this opportunity to shill our coming episode with Haseeb, which is coming out next Monday. Uh, Haseeb gave a pretty interesting classification of Polkadot, where you know Ethereum is supposed to be like Manhattan and its suburbs and its farms. Polkadot, the way uh, Haseeb uh, classified it, is as like a one city per application, right? And so that application has its own domain. It has its own realm and that allows that application to scale up. And so, you know, I'm not an expert and so I can't really comment on like the more nuanced designs of Polkadot. Uh, but that categorization was interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think my take is similar. Like, so my take is probably in that Haseeb episode a little bit. So I think, um, that probably this is a thesis that probably in order to have a main chain, a settlement chain, the reserve asset behind that settlement chain has to be money because any reserve asset that becomes a money has trillions of dollars in economic security. There's, there's no better way to get security than to be memed into a money, to, to be used as a money, right? Um, that's why gold is worth, you know, trillion, seven trillion and silver is like not even a trillion, right? Because it has a money meme attached to it. Um, so, I think there are probably some power laws to that where not everything can have that. Um, and Ether certainly has a, a head start as a main chain with uh, economic security. Polkadot, I feel like a Polkadot is kind of discluded from the race there a little bit, right? So part of the reason why is because uh, first uh, there's governance, 
almost a plutocratic governance. So if a, like a majority of, of uh, dot whales um, decide to change issuance or make some decision to the protocol, they can vote and make it happen, right? That kind of governance, on-chain governance can't happen in Ethereum. And um, that sort of on-chain governance, I think is not probably conducive to a, you know, a monetary system underlying. Like, so how shitty would it be if uh, Facebook and all the Facebook stockholders essentially had the ability to like owned the, the, the governance of the uh, global reserve currency of the world. It would be, very, it would be very bad because then Zuck could do whatever he wants with it at any time. Right? So like we're here for a more neutral monetary system. Anyway, for reasons like that, I think that Polkadot and other things like it um, become a, a side chain to stronger, more credibly neutral settlement layers like Ethereum, but they all work together at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. And by the way, could be wrong about some of these things. It's possible that dots or uh, atoms through some roundabout way starts to accrue monetary premium, but that's my take right now anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the correct take for the information that we have today. And I think we'll, when Polkadot goes live and inevitably interoperates with Ethereum, because what else are you going to do? Um, we will have to update that take if anything changes, right? Because then we'll have more data. Um, but I think for now, until we have more data, that that's the right approach to evaluating these things that are not quite live yet. Very good. David, should we do one last question? Yeah. Do you have one? I cannot find another one. Well, I've got one that's super easy. When when bankless merch? When <laughs> I think the people want these t-shirts, man. I think they do want the t-shirts. I think that's true. So we... Uh, we're working on it, guys. So I have a box sitting over there, actually, with some bankless swag, with some bankless T-shirts. Mm -hmm. um, we did our scarce swag launch season one first, so that's out there. But that's a more kind of scarce premium. Uh, the the e Ethscape shirt is a more you know premium mm -hmm. product. We're gonna get some normal uh, uh, merch like this. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, I'm gonna say within the next month, because um, I feel like you know I've got some economic bandwidth uh, <laughs> to do that. Um, but we're working on it, guys. We're definitely going to get you guys some swag. I really want to walk into my Wells Fargo wearing a bankless hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I did it. I, I yeah. did a, a wire from a bank in my Etherscape shirt. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like... uh -huh. So that, that'll <laughs> be fun. That'll be fun. All right, and, All right uh, man. In, in three weeks, there will be some cool news. And I'll leave it at that. Ah, mm -hmm. very good. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, maybe we can announce on State of the Nation what that cool news is. I, I think we shall. All right. These are going live every day, guys, at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern. That's 2 p.m. UTC. That's 7 a.m. Super early for you, David. Look at your bankless dedication, man. Mm -hmm. This guy wakes up at 6.30 to get ready for these. I just want to... Puffy-eyed live stream. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so thanks for thanks for joining us. We'll live stream these. The recording will be on Bankless as well. As always, guys, this is not financial advice. Crypto is risky. DeFi is risky. It's not for everyone. We are going Bankless, though, and we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.